Hello, and welcome to I Am Dad Podcast with your fatherhood authority, Kenneth Braswell. 30 minutes of wisdom, information, resources, and nuggets to help you on your fatherhood journey. Or maybe you're just curious and want to hear some real talk about fatherhood, family, and the minds of men. Well, guess what? We got you too. Sit back, grab your pad and pen, and maybe even bring a little something to sip on. Enjoy 30 straight minutes of fatherhood, family, and fun with the fatherhood authority. Kenneth Braswell. Hey, welcome to I Am Dad Podcast. I'm your host, Kenneth Braswell. And today we have another great podcast for you on a subject matter that is dear to many of our hearts. If you were around on October 16th, 1995, some 27 years ago, there was this little event that took place in Washington, D.C. called the Million Man March. Social and uh, traditional accounts said that there was only 250,000 or so people there, but I was there and that's a lie. Um, There were clearly million, if not some folks have said two million men were out there that day. But the feeling and the aura of that day is undescribable. And we're going to talk a little bit about where we are today after 27 years of that historic march um, for black men in particular, before the black community in general. And I have two great um, guests with me today. Both are my brothers. Both are champions in this space for black male achievement and and youth development for black children and champions for black families and great friends, brothers, husbands, and dads in their own rights, in their own spaces. So proud of the two of them and so proud to call them both my friend. Friends, first Sean Dove, for over 12 years, Sean served as the chief executive officer of the Campaign for Black Male Achievement, a national membership organization committed to improving the life outcomes for black men and boys. Under his leadership, CBMA, leveraged more than $212 million in national and local funds for black male achievement and grew to include nearly 6,000 individuals and 3,000 organizational members across the U.S. Now, he is the CEO of the Corporation for Black Male Achievement, continuing the work of youth development, motivating professionals, community building, and advocating for children and families. And he is also currently the author, congratulations, on the recently released book, I Too Am am America. Let's say that one more time. I Too Am America. Um, Learn more about his work at www.dovesores.com. And then my second brother, David Miller, Baltimore native, has received international acclaim for Dare to Be King, What If the Prince Lives, a survival workbook for African-American males, a thought-provoking 52-week curriculum teaching adolescent males how to survive and thrive in toxic environments. Currently, um, a PhD student in the School of Social Work at Morgan State University with a concentration on black fathers. David also um, has written several children's books, including Khalil's Way, The Green Family Farm, Gabe and His Green Thumb, and They Look Like Me, a coloring book. 
And David is also the inspirator for me writing my books. And so I have four books on the, on the, that he should be co-inspirer for me writing those books, as well as a graphic novel that I've been hanging on to and holding on to for the last two years that I need to get off of my desk and out into the public stream. Gentlemen, how you doing? Doing fantastic. Uh, grateful to be here. And as I am just looking at the screen, uh, you two brothers have just been impactful uh, in my personal and professional life uh, over the years. So happy to be here. Good morning, man. Any Anytime I can hang out with you two, man, I know it's going to be a great day, man. So looking forward to the conversation. Let me be clear that this podcast could probably be three days. If we were teasing apart everything that we've learned since we all met each other to where we are today. But I want to specifically lean on the fact that this is the 27th anniversary of the Million Man March. And I want to just review a couple of frames of thought um, that were permeating back 27 years ago that tended to be kind of the core subject matter as it related to black males. And I think why. Uh, Minister Louis Farrakhan was motivated to actually do something. One of the things that were going on, one of the things that was going on back in 95 was the um, tension between the hip hop field between the East and the West. Uh, we had just not too long ago before that lost two of our champion young black men, both Biggie Smalls and Tupac Shakur. Um, the, I think our communities were struggling back and forth with each other um, with a regional divide between the East Coast and the West Coast. There was a lot of conversation back then um, about the impact of, of, of the crack epidemic and how that was impacting our community um, based on how that spun up in the 80s and, and continued through the 90s. There was also a lot of conversation about the number of black men who were caught up in the criminal justice system. I believe the number back then was one out of four um, black men were caught up in some level of the criminal justice system. Um, the other thing back then was this huge myth about the number of black men in college versus in jail. And there was this myth that there was more black men in jail than there were in college. And Jenks Morton, filmmaker, did a great job in dispelling that. And him and Dr. Ivory Tolson picked up that mantelpiece to begin to correct the conversation around where we were as black men. Fast forward 27 years, what we now know, what research has said about black men, particularly black fathers, that we are the most engaged fathers in the day-to-day -day activities of our children of any other cohort in this country, including white fathers. That is Pew Research and Bureau of um, Census Research. So it's on the books. Um, this other thing that I've discovered that I've been wanting to figure out how to talk about is that it is a myth that black men don't vote. Um, over the last 40 years, there is a 10% differential between men and women men and women voting across cohorts. 
And black men are right in that space. We vote 10% less than black women do, but so do white men, so do Latino men, so do all other cohorts of men, except for Asian men um, vote at 7% less. So they're a little better than we are. But this notion that black men don't vote is a lie. We show up just as much as anybody else shows up. The other thing that we now know is that there's more than there's more black men in college than ever um, in the history of us going to college. And so while the numbers may be a little different from black women and black women are there more likely than we are, and there is a disparity, there now is more black men in college than ever before. Um, and then the last thing. Um, and this is a testament to both Sean, you and David and others in our space of work. And I think David made a statement. Um, I interviewed David. I can't remember when we were doing this work, Sean, around the Moynihan Institute. And remember, I was charged with going around the country and interviewing all of these people about the Moynihan Institute and 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 how it had changed, how it had how it had changed over 50 years. And when I interviewed, interviewed David, David said something that stuck with me when he said it, and it has stuck with me, and I have repeated it several times. And David said that if we stay focused on the work that we were doing, that we can turn our communities around in 10 to 15 years. I never forgot, I got that on tape. Um, he said that that day, and we're about almost nine to 10 years into that statement. And I think that if you look across the scope of black male achievement and black fatherhood, we have to a certain extent taking, oh, taken the hold over black myths and stereotypes as it relates to black fatherhood. I think we have now overwhelmed the public with positive images. They're great guys out there, Matt Pressberry, um, Dear Fathers, and other organizations who are killing the internet game as it relates to black fatherhood. You got hip-hop artists, Little Baby, and you got others who are talking very transparently about not only their fathers, but their them being fathers. Commercials are now showing fathers in a more um, positive light and a lot of conversation around black fatherhood is taking place around the country. And I think that the two of you and others started and ignited that some 27 years ago. And I think in that space, we're in a good space. If the two of you could talk to me a little bit about some of the changes that you've seen um, in the space of black men, particularly in black fathers, over the last 27 years since the Million Man March. I'm gonna to defer to the, the good Dr. Miller uh, and uh, I'll uh, follow him. So, so thanks Kenny for, um, for that crisp um, opening kind of framing uh, the conversation. You know, as you've, as you've indicated, I think there's a greater awareness of the data that black men as a cohort are more involved in our children's lives than in any other group. And I think the manifestation of that is um, what we're seeing in terms of images. Um, I'm always pleased to see so many efforts to promote um, the best of what it means to be a black father, um, to promote uh, you know, black excellence, 
And I think from a from a just from a multimedia standpoint, you know, since the Million Man March, I think that we are seeing, you know, that uh, uh that even more. I also think that there's a greater degree of transparency among black men who are willing to be vulnerable to talk about things like publicly, even when you talk about you know, media personalities and athletes talking about things like the kinds of relationships that they had with their fathers and father figures uh, growing up. And then also, which is a really big one for me, is Black men being more transparent about mental health, you know, talking about anxiety, talking about depression, talking about um, the great experiences that we've had in therapy. And so I don't think that we saw a lot of that kind of transparency 27 years ago, particularly around our role as fathers and fatherhood, and definitely as it relates to health, um, mental health, more men are having conversations about prostate exams and making sure that you get your annual you know, physical. All three of us, whenever we go get our annual physicals, we'll post that on social media to encourage other brothers to, to you know to, to get your uh to get your prostate checked, check your blood pressure, you know, get your blood work. So again, I think particularly for me around imaging and perspectives and vulnerability related to fatherhood and then anything dealing with men's health and mental health, I think I have seen over the last 27 years a greater degree of transparency. And I think a lot of that came from the brotherhood that we witnessed at the Million Man March. Yeah, uh, I would echo everything uh, that David said, uh, Kenny. Um, you know, one of our mantras is that, you know, becoming masters of our own media and telling our own stories, right? Uh, in 95, uh, there was this counter narrative of black men and black boys being super predators, right? Uh, there was the wave of the crime bill, right? And uh, yes, uh, there were challenges and, and, and differences within our com community, but highlighting the forces outside of our community uh, that kind of served as kind of a divisive tools, right? And so one of the things I would lift up is the word love and the willingness, and David talked about the vulnerability for uh, increasingly black men to drop masks, uh, drop false pretenses, and to look at another brother and say, I love you, to be vulnerable. Uh, I need help with loving myself. Um, I have seen that and I'm just grateful that I have come of age in a generation because our fathers and certainly grandfathers, but our father's generation could not show any perceived signs of weakness and asking for help. So what I have seen over the last 27 years, both on a national level and on a local and community level, this whole notion of uh, black men loving uh, each other um, and around the narrative of focus on 
our assets and not our uh, uh, deficits. And, you know, Brother Travian Shorters has been a, a champion of uh, just asset framing. And so I did not personally uh, attend the Million Man March. I remember working, I was running a Beacon School in Harlem. I remember, you know, we had a couple buses going. It was my day to hold down a fort and, you know, have the uh, community center uh, open. So that was like one of my uh, regrets. But the Million Man March for me was more than, uh, and I'm sure for you all too, it wasn't just that day. It was this ethos that was communicated that uh, really lifted up an alternative image and narrative of brotherhood, fellowship, this whole notion of atonement and a community building that uh, seeds that were planted then are bearing fruit still today. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. When you look at the last 27 years, um, you know, all three of us now have children that um, are entering college or have also gone through college. I think one of the narratives that was not talked a lot about 27 years ago um, in the Million Man March narrative was fatherhood. I don't remember a lot of conversation around addressing Black fatherhood back then. And I know that, you know, a lot of what I saw back then and a lot of what I was doing, I was working with the Urban League of Northeast and New York at the time um, of the Million Man March, impacted me and it impacted how I thought about my first daughter, <clears throat> which, which I was a little estranged from. How did that era um, and that motivation of what that march meant impacted how you thought about yourself as a father raising children? Yeah, um, you know, you know, for me, it was um, I hadn't even had my first child yet, but for me, it was um, just really thinking about what my parents had had done for me in terms of you know just laying it all on the line for me and 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 realizing that. Um, you know, given, you know, what I've gotten from my family and, and given the magnitude of the of the Million Man March and 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 all that the Million Man March was trying to accomplish, that there was some, you know, I'm gonna be real transparent. I mean, there were some vices that I still had, <laughs> you know, back then. Um, you know, I still, you know, like to drink back then and smoke and you know, I was, I, I, and I know this might shock y'all, I, I frequented a few gentlemen's clubs, right? <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and for me, it was, I needed to get rid of those vices as I began to move toward, you know, you know, getting married and having a family and all that other kind of stuff. Because I don't know if you guys realize, but I was married on October 16th, 1998. I was married. Uh, the Million Man March was one of the things that made me realize that this single man's game out here running the streets, man, I, I gotta, I gotta stabilize, I gotta stabilize who I am, man. And so, um, you know, again, for me, man, the, the march, I was already doing good work, but I still had a wild side. And the Million Man March helped me crystallize the fact I can't be out here drinking. 
can't be out here smoking weed. I can't be running the streets. I can't be chasing women that I really needed to, that there was a bigger calling on my life and seeing a million black men come together. Nope, there was no violence. There was, you know, you bumped into a dude, you stepped on a dude's shoe. You know, my bad brothers was hugging. It was, as Sean indicated, for me, it was one of the greatest expressions of love that I've ever seen in my life. And for me, it was like, I got to do better. Even though I was already working with children, I got to do better. And I got to I got to shed those those vices that ultimately get a lot of us in trouble. Yeah, I really appreciate that, David. And in a way, for me, um, I think with fatherhood, right, and lifting up um, just the roles and responsibilities of black dads, but black men in general as nurturers, as um, providers, protectors in our community, because even as uh, I think the Million Man March lifted up uh, black dads in an affirmative light, but even mentors and stepdads and father figures in uh, a, a community. And I just think the level of, and David talked about this, holding ourselves accountable, right? And I think, you know, 1995, uh, you know, I was five years in recovery, right? So uh, some of the uh, 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 vices that David was still grappling with, some of them I had put down, right? But I think it also, for me, just like, I'm human. Right, that I can make mistakes, that I'm a work in progress, even with the struggles, right? Even with uh, the vices that I had value and there was something that I could, uh, uh, I could give. And really around that time, um, showing dads uh, in a positive light. Years later, Kenny, you and I met uh, at the time when you were leading uh, the fatherhood movement, responsible fatherhood movement and black dads, I was publishing uh, a proud papa. Uh, I met David a couple of years before that uh, around just recruiting black mentors, right? And so some of it is like, for me, uh, the evolution from the Million Man March is just really like, amplifying our value as black men uh, in our families, in our communities, and with each other, and holding each other uh, accountable that we can do better. Yeah, you know, one of the things too, when you think about um, the march in particular and where we are today, one of the focal points of the march um, was the leadership. And for whatever you think of him or whatever you thought of him, uh, Minister Louis Farrakhan was a visionary in, in even bringing that up um, in conversation and having the courage to put it out in the universe that we're going to have a march on Washington, D.C. Um, around accountability. Uh, when you look over the span of the last 27 years, and I know you guys have done a great job in uplifting um, Black leadership and even being amongst Black leadership, uh, where are we today as it relates to one of the things, Sean, you have always said, 
Um, it's one of those quotes that, you know, 200 years from now, there's going to be a statue of you, Sean, somewhere. Um, and on the bottom of that statue, it's going to say, the Calvary is not coming to save us, right? Um, who has been the Calvary for us over the last 27 years? And what has leadership looked like for us? And what do you think um, it's going to look like moving forward? Wow, you know, I've been blessed, um, Kenny, to uh, be, you know, under the tutelage of some amazing uh, uh, leaders, right? And mentors, um, many of whom you know, Alfonso Wyatt, working at the Harlem Children's Zone with, with, with Jeff Canada, and um, social entrepreneurs, and but also folks that may not even be in the limelight, right? Um, brothers that uh, in recovery that I've watched to uh, turn their lives uh, turn their lives around. And this whole notion of, you know, there's no Calvary coming uh, to save the day in our communities, that we are the iconic leaders that we have been waiting for, uh, for me is like, you know, looking in the mirror, you know, and, and, and not looking out the window, waiting for someone to come save the day. Uh, I do think that there are challenges still, right, with divisions around class, right, and uh, uh, black men moving out of the community and saying, I've made it, I got mine, you get yours. I think there's a lot of work that we need to uh, uh, still do that uh, if, as a people, you know, uh, if we're if one person is struggling, we're all we're all struggling. So I think that there's work that needs to be done there. We've seen advances in corporate leadership. We've seen advances in more black men in philanthropy. Um, but I do worry about, uh, and we were talking offline about the collaboration, right? Uh, that we talk about but don't practice enough, right? Uh, when, so when I think there's still work for us to do across social economic lines for us coming together and building. Cause you know, my superpower can help your, you know, be added to your superpower, right? And so I think the economic mobility, uh, the mental health and uh, physical health and areas of us being champions there uh, are some leadership issues. I think we still uh, have a ways to uh, uh, go. Mm -hmm. I, I've been in, I've been inspired, y'all, by um, sort of the depth and breadth of young young talent, young leaders, young brothers and sisters that I've that I'm meeting along the way, who have all of the uh, intangibles. And but are looking for, you know, mentorship from folks like us and others that can help them, um, you know, navigate the the landmines and the pitfalls. I think I think when we look at what's happening to the black community, I think focusing greater energy on this younger cohort of leaders. Um, helping them understand things like how to, how to start a social enterprise, how to scale up a social enterprise, 
you know, you working with, I had this conversation with somebody yesterday, you working with 20 boys is admirable, but we need you to, we need you to work with 250 boys that first year. And then how do we scale that up to a thousand so we can see some sustainable change? And then how do we do a better job of um, documenting success? And so I'm, I'm really inspired by the talent pool that I'm seeing. Um, I get frustrated when people talk so bad about millennials and younger folks, but you know, they are children. We produced them. That's right. Right. I mean, we constantly, we constantly have all of these negative things to say about the younger generation, but we produced them. You know, I'm always inspired, you know, put me around some young folks. I mean, y'all are cool, Kenny and and Sean, but (laughs) after y'all ain't a whole wrong walk, it, it ain't a whole lot of, OGs that I'm really trying to be around, man. I, I'm really inspired by that young, that young energy and their and their interest around community building. They just want to do it differently because they've had a bird's eye view of the mistakes that we've made. And so I'm I'm inspired by um by by young talent. I think that we got to do a better job of mentoring young talent, you know, collaborating because. We are all you guys are you guys are my elders, but we're all on the we're all on the precipice of eldership. You know, each of us got 20 plus years in doing this work. And so uh, you know, that's a whole nother podcast, Kenny. What does eldership look like? Mm. You know, and how do we begin to really pour into that younger cohort of brothers and sisters to ensure that they don't make the same mistakes that we made. Mm. We gotta be real intentional about that, David, mm-hmm. and creating those intergenerational uh, 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 spaces, right? And, you know, we've all heard the notion of passing the baton, right? But it's like, you know, how do we share the baton, right? And exactly what you said, acknowledging the value and just the genius of young people and how as OGs, our stories and our wisdom can help fan those those, those flames. And we gotta be real careful of not buying into narratives of this generational differences. And, and, and amplifying those. And so how do we create that? And I've been thinking a lot about, in, you know, entering and embracing uh, my elderhood uh, of status and how am I intentional about pouring into uh, the next generation and not so much about the success stories, but telling the stories of where I have stumbled, the mistakes that I have made, and the resiliency and rebounding from those. Those are the stories uh, that our uh, uh, young folks need to uh, uh, need to hear. Mm. One of the things that we, um, all three of us, have done um, in the last 27 years um, is we've have, we have all visited the motherland. We have all gone to Africa. Um, how has that impacted how you think about black people and more specifically how you think about yourselves and black men? So, so yeah, go ahead, Sean. Go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. so I want to thank, you know, uh, 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 both of you uh, 
for leading the way, right? And I watched from afar for several years uh, the two of you going to Ghana, um, posting pictures, coming back with a glow and having this special like accomplishment, right? And so I was kind of like, I want that too. Right. And uh, especially, you know, uh, uh, David with the publishing books and going to Africa, uh, essentially, he didn't say it explicitly. He's like, you, you can't hang with me if you don't do these uh, 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 two things. <laughs> and so the opportunity for uh, Desiree, my wife and I, to go in 2019 was in a way a coming of age for me, a touching ground and being in atmosphere and space in the country for like, these are my roots. And right before uh, uh, going to Africa, I did the African uh, Ancestry.com, Trace Millennium Sioux, Sierra Leone. And so, Kenny, it was like a subtle uh, grounding and acknowledging of being on sacred ground mm-hmm. that for me has had the seismic uh, impact in elevating, all right, Sean, you can be more, you can do more. And there's one thing I want to share before turning over to David, uh, the story, so, you know, visiting uh, the castles on the coast and the slave dungeons, but hearing the story, uh, the group that I was with was really focusing on some economic mobility, um, in Ghana, and I was hearing a story about the coast and the houses that were built on the coast and how the doors, the front entrance, faced away from the shore. And they were telling the story because we may have seen, we see this beautiful coastline, but the history and the story was these shores were the, uh, uh, um, images of our ancestors being taken away and never being seen. And I just had this image of how do we do this 180, right? This, the, this lineage and a story of fear and trauma and turn around and, you know, have some triumph over that trauma. So I left Africa with that, Sean, where are you uh, uh, turning your back on opportunity and, and, and letting trauma, your historical ancestral trauma hold you back and where you can turn around and uh, face your trauma, face your fears. And so it was, a, I can't wait to get back, but uh, it was a lasting, um, you know, looking at pictures now, right? Uh, it was a powerful impact for me and my wife. So, so great question, Kenny. Um, y'all know I've been a couple of times, right? Um, I just got back. I was in Ghana for five weeks, and I spent, um, I basically lived at the University of Ghana while I was there, with, with some exceptions of some trips to Kumasi and to Cape Coast. For me, it has helped me, it has helped really center and crystallize my work. It has also helped me manage my anger and frustration that I have related to this country and what this country has done 
to our people and what it what it continues to do to our people. Um, for me, being in Ghana, spending time with with children is is a love fest, man. Mm. Because the difference between children in 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 on the continent and overseas versus here is like we always we always make it seem like poverty is the reason why we have so many of the challenges, right? Whether it's the violence or anything. But I'm spending time in villages where, you know, children don't have electricity, don't have running water, but but there's a level of pride and happiness and excitement about learning that if I could bottle it and bring it back here, you know, we would be batting a thousand. So for me, it's always... Um, it's always peaceful. Like I, I actually wrote three books while I was there that I'm going to release at, at at different times. Um, but for me, man, it's 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 the highlight of my my year, and I'm going to be um, I'm going to be spending even more time there because for me, spiritually, I need it. Because be, being 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 in this country, man, is um, managing the toxicity in this country. And then for me, like most black men, um, you know, struggling with your own mortality. Mm -hmm. I feel, I don't feel safe in the U.S. I don't feel safe in any city in America, given mm -hmm. the racial politics of this country, uh, you know, given the interpersonal challenges that we have with each other. But when I'm overseas, I, I don't, I don't, I, I'm not struggling. I don't, I'm not, I'm, but I'm always aware, but um, I don't, I don't feel like any harm will come to me. And so for me, it reduces my level of anxiety. I'm not worried about being carjacked. I'm not worried about somebody putting a gun to my head at the ATM machine. So for me, it reduces, you know, my level of anxiety by 50%. Mm. Mm. Yeah, Love, from, safety, and belonging is what you described. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, for me, it was, you know, really beginning to understand that poverty is a mindset, um, you know, because we can get so caught up in the aesthetics of what we own and what we have over here and describe that as poverty when in the motherland, you know, those things have no value um, to dignity, um, self-respect, expectation, legacy. Um, those are the education. Those are the things that matter um, to folks in Africa. And I think that we've kind of in America lost our way uh, with respect to those things that matter uh, for us as a people. And so as we close this thing out, because um, we round in the corner, um, I want both of you to kind of share with me um, what lights your fire today about black fatherhood? What makes you smile um, when you think about black fatherhood? Mm. Number one is uh, on a personal level, um, just the journey my children are, are on and the journey that I continue to be on with them. Uh, I like to say we're all adulting 
And what lights my fire, uh, Kenny, is being able to give and be for my children that for whatever reasons, I was not able to experience myself and my relationship with with my dad, right? And knowing that um, through personal choices, we can break cycles, right? We can break generational cycles. So that lights my fire. And on a more broad way, being the father figure for so many uh, younger people over my career, you know, having people reach out to me on social media who I was like, who are you? And they're telling me <laughs> you were a father figure during this season, like in the eighties or the nineties, uh, you did this for me. And I was like, wow, didn't even uh, uh, know that. Right. And I'll close with this before passing over to, um, David is the summer of 2016. Uh, I spent a week in Greensboro, North Carolina, uh, at the beloved community center with Joyce and Nelson uh, Johnson. You know, they're kind of like godparents in the movement for me. And uh, we had spun off from the, the campaign for Black Male Achievement. And I came back renewed and, and, and refreshed. And within a week, Alton Sterling was murdered by the police in Baton Rouge and Philando Castile uh, outside of uh, Minneapolis. And I just had this moment of like disillusionment. Up until that point, I still thought and believed on my watch or in my lifetime that I was going to contribute to the ending of racism and the change in uh, this nation. Mm -hmm. And I realized like, Sean, this ain't changing in your lifetime, mm. right? But what is it that it is yours to do while you are here? And as a father, pouring into my children, but pouring into the next generation and next leaders and getting focused on that. And that's what lights me up. That's what it, uh, excites me and just sharing my stories and my wisdom uh, with the next generation. Thank and I, I would, I would, man, Sean said it, man. Um, you know, this notion of being a village dad, you know, uh, being a dad to so many and it, and it, and it, and it's, and it's more than, it's more than a mentoring, you know, relationship. It's, it's, you know, it's, I got you, you know, I might even lend you some money. That's another, that's, <laughs> that's another conversation right there. But 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 being this um, village, that other thing for me, y'all, is and I know y'all know this. I've been in a new season as a son. I'm taking care of my dad, mm. which is, you know, some days it's, it's challenging, but it's for me the greatest expression of love that he did mm -hmm. it for me. And now that I can do it for him. And then my, my three amazing children. Um, I mean, most people look at me, they don't think I'm old enough to have, you know, children in college or out of college, but my two youngest are in college. My, you talk about Greensboro, Sean, I'm going down to Greensboro next week. Um, my baby girl is at North Carolina A&T. 
she's a freshman, and then my son is um, finishing up his MBA at Florida A&M University, and then my oldest daughter is, um, she, she stopped going to school, but hopefully, uh, you know, she's going to go back, but still doing, you know, great stuff. And so for me, just watching, you know, my children, and I got some God children that I really need to start, you know, you know, stepping up and, 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 and doing more with, um, because I think, you know, going back to one of the earlier questions, you know, you asked Kenny about the Million Man, the, the Million Man March, one of the greatest takeaways for me from the Million Man March was we got to strengthen families, man. Mm. I mean, all of us got family members that are living raggedy. So we got to, I mean, many of us spend so much time pouring into the larger community. We got to cast in our families that are living wild, mm. you know, and how can we, how can, how can we build, how do we build legacies so that each generation of black folk, we don't have to start over, whether it's financial legacy, whether it's a legacy of volunteerism and giving back, um, whether it's a, a legacy of, you know, entrepreneurship, a legacy of all of the all of the folks in your family become homeowners, and then and then give those homes to their children. So you know, this whole this whole notion of legacy building within family is something that I think about all the time. Man, thank you so much um, to the two of you for sharing your hearts today. You guys are a blessing in so many ways that you are unaware of for so many people, including myself. Um, David, I'm looking at that picture over your back and I'm like, I took that picture. I took that you, picture. You took I'm that like, picture. looking at it. <laughs> Whenever somebody walks into my office, they look at that picture. You know, I mean, it's, it's, it's a Gordon Parks-esque kind of photo. That's from Kenny Braswell's studio. <laughs> and then I'm looking over your shoulder, Sean, and one of the things I picked up, my office is laced with Muhammad Ali posters from the yeah. work that we did with the Rumble um, in Louisville, Kentucky. And I'm so excited, and we won't let too much out of the bag in terms of what we're talking about for 2024. But I think that's going to be epic. I think it's mm -hmm. going to be million man marches um, when we do that. Um, when we do this project. And so I'm ex extremely excited about this. Again, thank you guys for being a part of I Am Dad podcast. Um, I'm your host, Kenneth Braswell. Um, this is Mr. David, Dr. David Miller and Dr. Sean Dove, uh, my brothers in the spirit, um, in the real, in the heart, in the hood, and anywhere else we tend to be. Thank you so much for being who you are and have been um, in my life. And I love you both. And as our good friend Bishop Ferg says, there's absolutely nothing you can do about it. You can do it, brother. Love you, brothers, dearly. Love you too, man. You guys be safe. Thank you so much for taking the time to spend with us. You've been listening to I Am Dad Podcast. We hope that you have been informed, encouraged you to think, or even inspired your heart for the love of dads. The conversation does not end here. Come back and join us next week. Same time, same place. Or you can continue the dialogue on our I Am Dad Facebook page. We also invite you to listen to past episodes, learn more about us, and keep up with special activities by visiting IamDadPodcast.com. That's IamDadPodcast.com. Until next time, I leave you with this reminder of manhood from 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 11. When I was a child... 
I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. Because of this reminder, I will always understand that I am dad, period. Period.